2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The state of stocks is another read on inflation remains red hot what it might mean for tomorrow's CPI now, the Fed, and, of course, your money, plus the very latest on a big options bet on the 10-year yield. It's making the rounds today. We'll tell you about it. We'll ask the committee about all of that. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Stephanie Link, Jenny Harrington, and Courtney Garcia of Payne Capital Management right here on set with us today. Let's check the markets. Five negative days in a row for the S&P, trying to buck that trend today. We're doing an okay job of that. Not great. Good for 16. We'll take it. Uh, Dow's up for 175. The yield on the 10 year note is at 391. Jenny, I said that read nasty on the PPI. Uh, We're still looking for relief and we can't seem to find it.
3: No, but maybe we're getting, you know, just comfort or what's the right word, Scott, where you just don't care anymore. And maybe we're just getting dejected, which is it wasn't a great number. And I'm frankly surprised by how resilient the market is today, given, given what we got. And so maybe we're just kind of psychologically pretty much there, which is saying, look, it's going to be higher for longer. The Fed, we all know the Fed's raising 75 basis points. We all know eventually it'll get better. We know what the Fed's um, terminal rate is expected to be. And now we just need to live with it. And so maybe that's where we're getting to, where we just can live with this. I, I, as a portfolio manager, it's interesting. I bought a new stock last week, and I realized as I was driving here today, I didn't think at all about inflation, and I didn't think at all about the Fed's actions in that investment process. I just kind of figured, all right, we might have a 4.5% Fed funds rate. Um, We're going to get there. Inflation is probably going to disappoint me. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to buy the stock and and look at the fundamentals of that company. All right.
2: So, Court, so, okay, you know, Jenny's right, right? It's eventually going to get better. The question is, how much worse does it get before it gets better? I think that's what we're trying to game out Mm -hmm. from a, a market participant standpoint.
4: And that's where I think the CPI numbers tomorrow are going to be really important to that. Um, but I do think I, I really just kind of want to echo Jenny here. I think this is a really good point that the markets have been really resilient today, despite a pretty disappointing PPI number, which means probably a lot of this has already been priced. in. we know that the Fed's going to keep raising rates this year. So I think we'd have to see something pretty substantial that they're going to have to go even further than they are right now to really spook the stock markets at this point. And I don't necessarily expect we're going to see that. But I think tomorrow's going to be telling.
2: Yeah, Joe, you got uh, Lori Calvicina over at RBC uh, as our producer, Patty Mark. Martell put it, cut, 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 right? Mm -hmm. Cut the 2022 and 2023 EPS forecasts cut the S&P price target for this year down to 3,800, a couple hundred points higher than we are now. For a reminder, she was at 4,200. So it was kind of obvious that something had to happen sooner rather than later. Uh, But how about this PPI today? Uh, And the, the, you know, if you want to take that word that Courtney said, resiliency of the market into consideration, what do you make of it?
5: Well the market's been resilient basically since Q3 earnings and I think Scott it all comes down tomorrow in what we're going to get from the inflation reading. Um, I've said I think you need to see something in the mid-sevens for the market to react positively but I think Jenny's correct. I think ultimately at some point inflation will moderate. I think ultimately at some point the Federal Reserve (coughs) will pause and in the interim it's just whether or not they'll be able to quickly recognize that there is a hard landing that is underway in risk assets and and you you can't ignore that you can't ignore the financialization of the economy you can't ignore what's going on in the uk bond market you can't go ignore what's going on with the chinese currency you can't ignore how relevant bank earnings are going to be um as they begin this friday when we're studying What are reserves looking like? How much are consumers draining it? Yeah. So I think we're we're at that moment, Scott, where the Federal Reserve is going to have to step in and have some form of an acknowledgement that they have broken parts of the capital market.
2: I'm going to push back on you for a minute in terms of this notion. It sounds good, but this notion of we're we're already in a hard landing for risk assets. I mean, the (laughs) S&P is down 20%. That's not a hard landing, right? I mean, that, that, that's kind of a soft landing. A hard landing is the kind of thing that Jamie Dimon is potentially talking about, right, Joe, for risk assets. Another 20 well, percent decline on the S&P. Don't tell me we're in a hard landing for risk now. And then what are you going to tell me we're in when it goes down more than that? What's that called?
5: Well, that, that's that's not a, a, a hard landing. Uh, that That's a crash. And that's a crash that doesn't recover for five years because you go down another 20%, Scott, you're talking about the 1970s where the market went down 48% and it took nine years to recover. You're talking about the 2000 or 2007 scenarios where markets go down 50% and it takes five years to to recover. So I I do believe this is a hard landing. And the reason I say it's a hard landing is because I'm looking beyond the S&P. The S&P is benefiting from having Apple and Microsoft and Alphabet that have had a degree of resiliency, but just look There's at the 52-week lows. Of, Microsoft look at the is inti- right. Microsoft's at a new 52-week low today. We, we've more, been talking about that more, every day. More, recent, more recently, you're seeing the underperformance, Scott. But. You're not going to acknowledge that there's a hard landing in the entirety of a 60/40 portfolio. For a 60/40 portfolio, this is the worst ret- return that we've seen in multiple decades. No, I'm hearing there's you. There's nowhere I, I, to
2: hide in that yes, portfolio. I, I, I hear you on that. But, but, Steph, the scenario of a Jamie Dimon uh, is going to feel a heck of a lot worse <laughs> than if this is in fact a hard landing for risk, as Joe has, you know, eloquently laid out why he thinks it's that way.
6: Yeah, no, I mean, I think, look, we nobody knows how much further this market has to go down. Is it 20 percent? Is it 5 percent? Is it just going to stay choppy like I have been talking about all year long? I think it's more of a chop, in my opinion. Um, look, that PPI number was hot. Uh, The CPI number tomorrow is going to be hot. Mm -hmm. It may not be hotter than expectations, but it's going to be hot. Just think about new car car prices are up. Education is up. Rents are up. Those are sticky, all sticky parts of inflation. And so the number is going to be ugly tomorrow. It just reinforces what we've been seeing and we've been talking about for the last several quarters, that there is a lot of inflation. The Fed is going to remain very hawkish and rates are going to go higher. They're going to stay higher for longer. And that's going to frustrate a lot of people. And Mm -hmm. that's going to lead to a lot of rotations within the marketplace. Right. I mean, we've seen a massive rotation out of growth into value. Values outperforming growth year to date by 1,200 basis points. That is huge. Growth managers have been crushed. And so people already feel like in certain parts of the market, it has been a hard landing because in those sectors like growth and like technology, they've just been hammered. Um, I don't see those those sectors coming back. And unfortunately, I don't actually even think now earnings are going to save the day. It's not going to change the narrative that the Fed is actually drawing, drawing liquidity out of the system and that we're going to see slower growth. Is that recession? Is that stagflation? I don't know what it is, but it's slower growth, and we're trying to price that in right now because we are a forward-looking indicator. Is everything
2: in the market, right? We've suggested that the reason why, at least one reason why, the the market's resilient today is because, as one of the ladies in front of me said, uh, that it's all in the market, right? The market kind of knows. So is everything in the market at this point But for a Fed mistake, is that why the market can be calm like it is today with a hot PPI? The the two year is at 430. Right. It's 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 there. Right. So that suggests that there's a lot in the market. Now, fears have been ratcheted up recently about a mistake being made by the Fed or breaking something uh, or systemic issues. We look over in the UK and we say, okay, what are the run on effects here in the United States, if anything? People don't seem to be too worried about that at this given moment, but you never know how that develops.
6: Well, I mean, today... One day of green doesn't get me all that excited. We're super oversold. Uh, The oscillators are going to tell you that. So maybe we know the Fed is going to be hawkish and rates are going to stay high for longer, but that's problematic for risk on assets, to be honest, right? And then you have the BOE who can't get out of its own way. We have no idea how that thing is going to play out. China, open, close, open, close. We have no idea when they're going to get their act together. You have a war, by the way, which we have no idea what the outcome is going to be. And you certainly have problems in, in the currency market. Yeah, you know what? If the Fed continues to do this and they break something, maybe they may change their mind. But until something breaks, I don't expect any change. And the rhetoric only continues to be hawkish from all of the Fed governors. And so I just think you have to be careful in this environment. Look, you know, I'm, I'm, I own stocks. You know, I have a little bit of cash on the sidelines because earnings season always gives me an opportunity. I am looking for the long term to be adding to stocks. And I have been if I have a one, two, three year time horizon. But in the next six months, we have no idea what the outcome is going to be. And so I just think it's prudent to be careful and to be diversified and find big, best blue chip companies truly on sale if you can have the patience to hold on to them through this this uncertain time.
2: So you got the 10-year note yield at 391, as we just showed. And we talk about the idea of something breaking, which is, you know, those concerns, as I said, have been ratcheted up of late. There was an interesting trade put on today that I wanted to call your attention to um, that John Spallanzani turned my attention on to uh, an options trade. And we've enlisted Scott Nations to help us with this. He's the founder, of course, of Nations Indexes, a familiar face to those who watch options action. Um, Scotty, you know, this was interesting. It's a call spread that we're told targets a drop in the 10 year yield as low as 2.9 percent before November 25th expiration. Can you take us inside this trade a little bit and give us an idea of what this person is is potentially thinking?
7: Sure, Scott. There are actually a couple of really interesting, interesting trades. This call spread was purchased, and then also somebody bought a bunch of outright calls. Let's talk about the call spread. They paid just seven ticks, and things are a little bit different in the bond world. The, the size of the contract is bigger, uh, and the prices are different. But really what this is is somebody is betting— Uh, they're making a very low cost, very low probability bet that bond prices are going to spike significantly. So uh, the the generic 10-year note right now is about 111.5. They're thinking it's going to go up to 118 by the time these options expire. And Scott, there are only a couple of ways in which that would happen. The first would be good news, and that is inflation eases, and we get the sense that the Fed's going to let up a little bit. The second is much more well dramatic and mm-hmm. I think this is probably what they're shooting for and that is if things were to get really really bad in the equity world then what we see is a flight to quality we see 10-year note prices spike because people don't really care what they're paying uh, for 10-year notes in that case they just wanna have some safety and so this uh, call spread purchase um is really somebody just taking a very low cost low probability wager that things may get very bad.
2: Yeah. I mean, consider, you know, what would and you use the word dramatic and I think you use that word correctly, um, what would have to happen for the, the 10 year to drop 100 basis points from, from here, right, to go down to that level in a reasonably short period of time of a month, right? You would, you would have to think that something would have broken, uh, so to speak, to get you to that level, it's the latter rather than the former of what you suggested of inflation just dropping like a stone, and then the Fed would have to ease off. The likelihood of that happening in that time frame is unlikely, to say the least.
7: Uh, unlikely in the extreme that the Fed would say, "Okay, we're done. Uh, we've done everything we need to through the end of the year." I mean, given what uh, Charlie Evans, the uh, Fed head in Chicago, and Laila Brainer said, what she said yesterday, that, that is uh, unlikely in the extreme. And so again, what is much, much more likely, and you you see this uh, ever since what happened in 1987, when we saw bond prices spike again dramatically uh, after the crash in 1987, we had a huge rush to quality. And so what happens is, if things get really messy, really ugly in the equity world, then then people are, are worried about return of capital, not return on capital. And they rush into the fixed income, mm-hmm. the, the Treasury bond markets. And that's what would have to happen. And, it, you know, this is really, Scott, this is, even though this is a, a trade in the bond world, it's really an equity tail risk trade.
2: Mm. Interesting. Uh, well put. And uh, thank you for joining us, Scott, on a trade that uh, people are starting to talk about uh, today. And uh, we thank, again, John Spallanzani for highlighting it and sending it on to us. That Scott Nation is joining us. Joe, you want to comment on that? Um, it's pretty interesting albeit a dramatic take on uh, one person at least view of uh, what may go
5: down. Somewhat, somewhat chilling, isn't it? Somewhat chilling from the sense of, uh, does someone need that much of a tail on their risk? Somewhat chilling in the sense of, is there something ahead of us uh, that's going to be so troubling for the markets? That's the only thing that, that comes to mind for me. Yeah, Jenny?
3: You know, we keep saying someone, a person. When I hear this, I wonder, is this really a human or is this an algorithmic trading program based decision? And is it actually has it actually taken human thought out of it? Because to me, this is a really dumb trade. And I I certainly wouldn't make it. It seems, as you said, so improbable that even if it's cheap, it's a waste of money. So it sounds to me like it might be like an A.I. based decision rather than human thoughtful input.
2: Yeah. Um, Who knows? I I do want to get on before we uh, end up taking our first break on to what's taking place in tech. And, you know, court. We talk about the semis every day. Why? Because they hit new lows every day. And I'm wondering, you know, when that trend is going to stop, whether you think we're closer to a bottom, as some like Evercore suggests today, that we're getting closer, are we there?
4: I, I would venture to say we're getting closer. I mean, the valuations there are significantly lower than their longer-term averages are at this point. Um, but they do face some significant headwinds. I mean, there is really demand deterioration that's continuing to happen with the semis. And especially with all the risks happening in China right now, I don't think that's all fully behind them at this point. So I don't necessarily want to jump in with two feet. But I do think you're getting closer there. And they are looking much more attractive than they have previously.
2: Steph, you know, there's another note out today uh, of, from B of A. Uh, and they have some stocks on their list. And I believe Broadcom, actually, Broadcom was on the Evercore list. Broadcom was on the Evercore list. They say that we remain defensive yeah. and maintain their top picks of analog devices, Broadcom, and, and a few other names. I bring it up because you own that.
6: I do, and I'm watching it very carefully to add to it. I cannot believe the stock trades at 11.6 times earnings. Uh, with a 3.5% dividend yield, um, and it's now down 35% on the year. It has been, not been spared at all. Maybe it's a little bit better than some of the higher-flying names, but it's still gotten crushed. Um, I, I like it. I like the end markets very much. It's enterprise, it's AI, it's cloud, it's data center. I like what they've done in terms of M&A and the mix. Um, and that mix is actually more software more recurring revenue and that's going to help margins and they already have industry high operating and gross margins and the uh, there was an analyst that recently spent time with the management and the management saying that customer lead times is still at 50 weeks so very very sound sounds good to me doesn't doesn't sound like you're going to see excess inventory like I believe you will see in other pockets and oh by the way they're generating about 16 billion dollars in free cash flow per year year, gives them a lot of flexibility to buy back stock, increase the dividend and also continue to do M&A. So that's definitely one that I like. Um, but as you know, I'm just a little bit cautious still a little mm-hmm. bit cautious on the overall group because of the double, triple ordering and the inventory issues that I believe are happening.
2: I referenced Jenny, this secondary note today that was out on the semis, two from uh, Bank of America, where they asked the question, what's priced in cyclical downturn, but no recession. I think that's really interesting, right, that if you think it's bad now, they're not even pricing in a recession yet. What do you think about that?
3: Um, I think that semis have already been in recession. And so one of the things that we've been hearing about from Eddie Ardenny is this idea of rolling recessions. So we could have a broad economic recession. I'm not sure we will, but we could. But I think semis have already had their recession. And so we probably are getting closer to bottoming there. You know I own Teradyne, AMAT, Intel. My bigger concern right now, well, not bigger, right? Supply demand is the biggest, but is the, is the um, Department of Commerce's restrictions on on them selling into China? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really concerning. So when you were asking me two weeks ago about these, and I'm like, well, you know, AMAT's 11 times and Terodyne's 16 times, and that's great. You know, I can live with that. But a whole other wrench has been thrown in here. And, and we just don't understand what all those repercussions are we don't know who's going to get licenses to get around it for how long
2: are they investable right now these stocks yes or
3: Ah, no? yes and i'll tell you as long as you have a very long time horizon and i'll tell you why how long do all, I
2: it's very what is very long
3: couple of years because i'll tell you why these are necessary to our everyday life and so this is noise the supply demand imbalance is noise china is noise things will reroute but when you have a company that makes something that is absolutely essential to us being on the air right now and everybody's daily life they will thrive they will continue to exist. This is a blip.
2: Doesn't mean you it's have to pay. Does, doesn't mean you have to pay top dollar.
3: Nope. And I think too. You yeah. know how people say, "Don't let don't let perfect be the enemy of good enough." You don't need to buy them now. You're probably going to get another chance. If you do buy them now and they go down a little bit, just wait three years. Okay. You know, three little years.
2: Hey, Joe. Speaking of may get a chance to buy things cheaper. Uh, we we talked about Microsoft for for just a moment, but you know, not in any great detail. The target was cut today to 3:15 from 3:50 at Wells. You know, people are trying to defend Apple uh, these days, although you do have more caution around that stock than I think you've had in the last, you know, handful of years. Where, where How should we be thinking right now of, of mega caps, right? NASDAQ's been at a two-year low. The chips are getting all the headlines for all the right reasons. But these stocks can't get out of their own way either.
5: So Jenny talked about um, there being a, there, a rolling recession. I think it's more of a valuation recession and take the semis as an example. The semis are far ahead of those mega cap companies in that valuation decline. You know that they are far ahead of it because you've seen earning estimates for the semiconductor industry fall by the largest amount since 2008. Scott, you haven't seen that yet in the mega caps. And and, and you candidly, we, we all know my positioning in the mega caps, okay? My largest position is Apple. I am long Microsoft. I am long Alphabet. But I will also acknowledge the reality that now this valuation recession that's been rolling from hyper growth to other areas of the market is now coming from mega cap technology. And that's exactly what's unfolding now. Are earnings going to be resilient enough to support the premium valuation for these mega caps? That's TBD. And we'll find that out over the next two weeks. Steph, it's interesting. Mahaney
2: over at Evercore puts out a note today called Cautious and Concentrated. He's looking at communication services picks, of course. Uh, Meta is one of his top picks. Speaking of big names that are at 52 week lows, he talks about a flight to quality, helping a stock like that, along with Google. That make sense to you? I mean, I know you own it, but give me give me the honest read on this kind of a call.
6: Well, I, I think their core business is real. Uh, I think their core business is quality. I think they have size and scale with 2 billion and 3 billion daily active users, monthly active users respectively. Um, I don't know if they're gonna be able to fix reels. I, I'm of the belief that they will and that they are making progress, but that to, uh, remains to be seen. And that's the show me part of the story. But the balance sheet is very strong. They have free cash flow of $20 billion. And this cost-cutting program, that's going to take $6 billion out of OPEX. They have a lot of levers they can pull on that front. And so I think they will be able to have earnings, solid earnings. Maybe revenues are, are, are going to be lower because we know what's happening in the, mar- in the macro with digital advertising slowing down um, and competition. Um, but I think at 11 times forward estimates for uh, the base business being a a solid base business. um, I just think it's too attractive here. And I'm not paying for meta for this stock at all. I am not giving them any bit of credit. But that means that we're not getting much credit for the base business at 11 times. So I agree with him. But I don't know what the catalyst is other than to say they got to get reels fixed, I think, for people to be interested again. Let
2: me ask you this real quick. If you're not paying for um, where where the future growth is alleged to be yeah why are you paying up for the part of the business where growth has slowed
6: mm-hmm. i think that 11 times i think i think their, their base business is worth more than 11 times earnings scott
2: okay all right That's scott true. can i ask no i gotta i gotta bounce joe sorry sure. i gotta i gotta get a, a break in here uh we're gonna talk about financials many are hitting uh sitting at new lows ahead of their earnings so on friday they begin the committee takes their positions
5: next we're back in two minutes
2: number of big bank stocks hitting new lows in early trading today. J.P. Morgan, City, Bank of America, all among the names we are following. Of course, earnings kick off this week. Man, the multiples on these names, Court. J.P. Morgan, eight times. Their P is eight. City six. Key Corp, six, seven. U.S. Bank, almost eight. PNC, nine. Is that enough to get you excited about these names? Or are there just too many headwinds around the space?
4: There's definitely headwinds, but I actually I do like how much cheaper they have become recently. And your banks do tend to be your category that does tend to go down the most as we go into a downturn. But they also tend to rebound the fastest. And I do think your banks have been very smart here to keep their balance sheets pretty strong as we are impending. I mean, this is probably one of those, if we go into a recession, one of the most anticipated. And I think they're probably prepping for that. So um, I, I actually could, would definitely look at some of these opportunities. They pay a good dividend. They're really good value. Especially as a longer-term investor, I think you want to have a piece of these.
2: All right, Steph, uh, you have a piece, a big one. Uh, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, you call this Super Friday.
6: It is Super Friday uh, because you throw in Citigroup and J.P. Morgan, they report on Friday as well. So, OK, so you're going to have the positives and the negatives. The positives are going to be net interest income and net interest margin. Those are higher interest rates, right, um, especially at the low end, those, those companies that have exp- exposure on the, on, the, on, the, on the low end. Um, you're going to have really good expense control and you're going to have great capital positions. Um, you're also probably going to have decent fees, especially in fixed income. But on the negative side, you have sales and trading and investment banking are going to be horrible, mortgages horrible. and, and so i am what i'm watching the most important thing is liquidity cuz it's tightening up you've got loans growing 12% but you only have deposits up 2%. so that's going to be a big discussion point i think for all of these companies. now that being said you mentioned they're very cheap. morgan stanley now yields 4%. wells fargo is held up the, the best but it trades under one times book. so i can kind of i can kind of get my hands around some of these names because of valuation but i'm 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 here to say it's not going to be these are not going to be clean quarters by any stretch it's, on friday.
2: It, Wells the most at risk because of the, the mortgage origination business and given where rates have, have gone? It's such a significant part of their business.
6: They have been shrinking that business over the last year, yep. year and a half. And on the flip side, they're the most sensitive to net interest income and net interest margin. Um, so they should benefit from the mm. rate structure.
2: Oh, good. OK. Um, thank you for that. Uh, Joe, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, you have any enthusiasm at all? going into Bank
5: of America, Morgan Stanley and Wells Fargo, they benefit from the wealth management division. And as Stephanie pointed out, this is that's a fee based business. So you're seeing a little bit of interest in fixed income right now. I know it's not popular to talk about a four percent CD, but that's going to attract AUM. Um, It is without question going to be an overall challenging quarter. I had sold JP Morgan a while back. I've been interested in buying back JP Morgan But candidly listening to Jamie Dimon the other day, I'm just wondering if he's wearing his heart on his sleeve a little bit and he's frustrated with the overall environment that JP Morgan, very aware of how restrictive the earnings growth potential is, and maybe a lot of his comments uh, were really uh, the the catalyst was that frustration. Maybe so. I mean, it's at
2: a 52 week low uh, as well as JPM. So, Jenny. so for somebody who cites valuation a lot, right, you say, well, I don't really like them here. But if you're a long term investor, the multiples are too good to ignore. I read you the multiples on some of these names. Are they too good to ignore?
3: Um, for me, they are. And so sorry, I need I need to see the multiples and they look enticing and then you do the work. And here's where I come. Well, out. I'm
2: talking like J.P. Morgan eight.
3: So last the P week,
2: of eight. Right. right. City six.
3: Right. But this is where you have to pay attention to valuation, but it's certainly not the only thing. Last week when I was on with Steve Leisman, he said something so perfectly that I wrote it down, which is, and he was referring to saved 0809. It? I did. You saved he it. wrote, <laughs> shadow banking risks were thought to be remote, but they weren't. And the reason these guys all got crushed coming out of 0809 was because of all of the off-balance sheet things that we as investors, as portfolio managers, absolutely couldn't figure out. And in this environment... Those risks are too great for me. My job for my clients is to create a dividend income stream that they can count on through thick and thin. And what we know is that when things get really nasty, there are unpredictable elements of these companies, and they will be the first to cut their dividends if things get nasty. So for me, even though I have to pay attention and I have to look, I steer clear because I cannot assess those risks.
2: All right. Let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha.
0: Hey, Scott, thanks so much. Here's what's happening at this hour. Russia's intelligence service has arrested eight people in connection with the blast that damaged a bridge to Crimea. The Russian FSB said Ukraine was behind the attack and that Ukrainian and Russian citizens had been arrested. Russia has stepped up a deadly bombing campaign in retaliation for that explosion. Kyiv has dismissed blame for the attack, with a spokesperson telling NBC News, quote, we are not commenting on the statements made by terrorists. To Venezuela now, where the death toll from deadly landslides in the north of the country is growing. At least 43 people have been reported dead, with at least another 50 still missing. Heavy rains caused landslides earlier this week and search and rescue missions continue. And NASA says that they hope to launch the moon mission Artemis sometime in mid-November. The launch of the uncrewed rocket was called off in August for repairs and delayed last month because of Hurricane Ian. This first launch is the beginning of a years-long NASA mission to send astronauts back to the moon. Scott?
2: Thank you. you. That's Bertha Coombs for us. Check out this mystery chart. It's up more than 15 percent so far this month. You can't say a lot. You can't say that about a lot of other stocks. It's up nearly 40 percent this year. The stock just got a bullish call, too. And one of our committee members owns it. Best of all, we'll reveal the name, debate it next in our call of the day. We're right back.
4: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
2: All right, before the break, we showed you that mystery chart. It is... SLB, Slumberj, Wells Fargo, adding that stock to its signature picks list today. Why it's our call of the day, and Stephanie Link, the Linkster, owns it. Yes. Fifty one dollars is the price do, target. I, Sorry, yeah. I'm excited I, I, for I th- you.
6: I think it could go higher. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for me too. But you know, I was I was buying this at thirteen, so it's had a heck of a run right off the lows. But um, I think it goes higher than fifty one. Look, these are, this is the number one. Uh, services company in the industry and I've said for a very long time it's a hidden technology play and it's very underappreciated in terms of what they do and what they're focused on especially on the digital side they make their customers more efficient they have pricing power as a result and that's why the company has been able to grow margins and they're going to see a margin expansion this year alone up 200 basis points. I don't know very many companies that are seeing margin expansion uh, at all, let alone 200 basis points. So I like it. We haven't even begun to see the international recovery. And that's the real gem. And that's going to happen next year. And so at 21 times forward, it's the cheapest of the big four. uh, And I think it's uh, I think it's definitely on sale.
2: All right. Court, you own the ETF, the MLPX, which has enterprise products, Chenier, Kinder, Williams, Energy Transfer, One Oak, Magellan. Uh, and you also in a couple other ETFs, so you're clearly in the energy camp.
4: Yeah, and energy, and we've talked about this year, year, it's really been your one reprieve as an investor. It's it's the thing that's holding up better than anything else. And I think that's probably going to continue as you look later this year. Um, So we do own that two ways. We have your MLPs. We also have your companies like your Exxons, your Chevrons, we own separately. And these companies have become so much more efficient. They were forced to back when energy was doing so poorly, back during COVID. And now, even if energy prices or oil prices come down, they can come down significantly. And these companies are still going to be profitable. And there's a huge supply demand constraint that's not going away. So, I think it's it's a space you can definitely want to continue to be in.
2: Okay, Um, which you are. Also, uh, enterprise products, right? Which is part of the ETF, but you own it individually. Uh, Chevron, Kinder, which again is Mm -hmm. a lot of crossover between uh, either the individual stocks you own that are also in the ETFs you do, One Oak, uh, Kinder, Energy Transfer, et cetera.
3: So, you get to play it either way. If you want to take commodity risk, you own the Exxons, the Chevrons, the Devons, the Pioneers. If you want to be more conservative and just say, hey, I know we're going to depend on fossil fuels for a really long time. You can own the pipeline companies. For me, you know, I've got the dividend yield hurdle, so I can't own Sunverge. so I'm really jealous of Steph that she can. Um, but but all, of, all of the message that we've gotten over the past year is that we need fossil fuels for a very long time, like it or not, and as I think you pointed out, they had to get more efficient, which is they've reined in their capex, they're paying back to shareholders, mm-hmm. they know that we care about cash flow.
2: Joe, EOG, EQT,
5: Pioneer, Valero, absolutely it's it's the sector that i've long advocated being overweight uh just as everyone else on today's committee has and done an excellent job with that the one thing that i think you need to keep in mind and and before i say this let, let's acknowledge energy's up 43 percent year to date and it's up 10 percent for the month so i'm probably going to make this call and it's going to drop 15 percent. but i truly believe energy is in the beginning stages of a secular bull market and one of the reasons why is it's not that policy or an election is gonna change production in this country. What really uh, was behind the growth in production, Scott, was the low cost of debt, the low cost of capital, and that funded the growth at the wellhead. And now we've changed that cost of capital and we're not going back. So those companies are not going to be going to the debt markets like they did in 2015 and 2016 to grow their production. They're going to turn away from that. They're going to do what they're doing now, which is prioritizing using technology, as Steph said, and then focusing on the dividend and shareholder return. And that's exactly why this is a secular bull market for the sector. Okay. Also, a bullish street note out today on healthcare,
2: calling for that sector to outperform into year end. We'll get the committee's take and their picks, and we'll do it next. Welcome back. Morgan Stanley looking for opportunities in healthcare. The firm has its top investment ideas and the committee has ownership all over the place. Their ideas.
5: AbbVie, Joe, you own it. I do. Own it for the dividend. Pricing power. Fantastic company that's recreated itself in the last several years after a variety of missteps, not selling out of it. Zoetis is on that list and it's also on Stephanie Link's
6: yeah and it's also down forty percent on the year. I like it a lot. though leader and companion animal uh, they have new launches coming there. They have pricing power of about five percent. They have a great portfolio. Revenues are growing high single digits earnings mid uh, uh, low double digits. so I like this name for the long term.
2: Thermo Fisher on the list Jenny
6: Thermo. so what a great company
3: right They have all this all this testing equipment. but I think the bigger story here is that healthcare compared to almost everything else, has a, has a degree of, I think, economic insensitivity as compared to so many of the other sectors. So I think collectively this report makes sense and we can look at it. We've got aging population that drives certain stocks like Zimmer and Medtronic. We've got Regeneron and Bristol with huge which with huge cancer pipelines. And it's just a nice place to be in hideout.
2: Court, what about healthcare here for the let's say for the remainder of the year?
3: Yeah, I think
4: energy and healthcare. I think those are like the top two sectors we've been looking at, and I do think you have a lot of focus right now. You have a lot of new drugs that are in the pipeline as COVID's kind of getting out of focus, and a lot of this is getting more into the headlines now. Um, and even talking about, I, I know you bring up Zoetis, but a lot of mm. these larger pharmaceuticals are also getting into that pet space, which is one of those categories which tends to, as you know, as people are cutting their spending, they're going to spend on their pets, which I think is kind of interesting in the healthcare space as well.
2: All right, stay with <laughs> us. Mike Santoli will join us next with his midday word. We're right back. Right, we're back, senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joining us from the New York Stock Exchange as always for his midday word. We're hanging in there, right? Despite this hot PPI. Yeah.
1: You know, the market seems to really want to just idle ahead of the, P- the CPI, uh, if at all possible, to try and just square things up. Now, we are trading at the lows. I think that's a big uh, distinction from where we were heading into the CPI report a month ago, where you actually still had had that rally into mid-August and uh, and then a decline, but then another bounce attempt. And the point was it was a more hopeful uh, spot there. I think anyone has been disabused of the idea that you should try to outguess the CPI or get too bullish ahead of it, thinking that we're going to see uh, a lot of downside momentum. But the makings are there, right? If the 10-year yield is bumping up against a bit of a ceiling at 4%, you have oil down 3%, stocks at the lows, everyone knows That sentiment is awful and expectations for earnings are pretty beaten down nicely, at least for the current quarter. Uh, It it makes for an interesting compressed situation, I think, across asset classes, potential uh, maybe potential release of energy after we get that uh, report tomorrow.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at yields on the long end are all down uh, today. So, you know, maybe that's helping too. also maybe some relief out of the U.K. bond market, you know, as you as you look there, Mike, not not an explosion. Uh, A continued explosion higher there and maybe some of the more dramatic concerns easing.
1: Yeah, you can never prove uh, a negative in a sense that you can't prove that there's not something really treacherous brewing out there in the markets. But, you know, this is a very watched pot. Everyone expecting it to boil right away. And um, the fact that it doesn't probably at least is uh, is a non-negative, if not an outright positive.
2: All right, I'll see you in a few hours. That's Mike Santoli for this midday word. We'll see him for his last word a little later on. Consumer staples, the best performing sector of the day and the week so far, so we'll find out how the committee is playing that group next. And to celebrate Hispanic Heritage, CNBC is featuring our teammates and contributors. Here is Giselle Ruiz, board member of both Ulta Beauty and Univision.
4: Latinos are bringing even more new energy to our country. They're the fastest growing segment and a fuel for growth in nearly every industry you can think of, and we're not slowing down. So what's important for you to think about is how am I unlocking the power of this very important and significant community? Being a Latina, everything there is about you is an absolute gift. It's a competitive advantage the way that I think about it. So never hold back from being who you are and offering the perspective that has shaped you your entire life. That's the real competitive advantage.
2: Consumer Staples, the best S&P sector today in the week, lifted on the back of Pepsi's earnings. Steph, I know you wish you owned it because you said as much for the most part <sighs> to I our know. producers and you tweeted I about know. it, too.
6: Pepsi and General Mills, both of them, they really are just champs. I often wonder why Pepsi trades at 26 times forward, and it always kind of deters me from investing in it because it's expensive. And this is the reason why. They beat and raise no matter what. They've actually beat on earnings over the last decade. The decade. I mean, that is just huge. So they had a total organic growth of 16%, led by Frito-Lay North America up 20%. They have the products, plain and simple. Earnings grew 14%, gross margins also not as bad as feared. They have pricing power And when commodity costs come down and the prices continue to stay high, there's going to be a lot more operating leverage to the bottom line. This is absolutely on my short list to watch if it sees a pullback.
5: Joe, what do you think of Staples here? Perfectly stated by Steph. She gave all the fundamental reasons. Joe T carries at an overweight at slightly less than 10 percent, whether it's Hormel, Pepsi, uh, Hershey, Archer Daniel Midland, Monster Beverage, these are all names in Joe T. They have the pricing power. Exactly what Steph said is the reason you own them. Cisco's yours, Jenny?
3: Right. So consumer staples- S-Y-S-C-O. S-Y-Y. <laughs> right, that's why I went. So consumer staples are interesting because what you see is that you see consumer spending is perfectly correlated to wage growth. And I think Pepsi's really a bellwether here where you saw 20% top-line growth. And most of that came from pricing increases. So what that's telling us is the consumer actually can deal with this. And I think... You also see commodity prices like wheat and soy coming down 10, 20 and 30 percent. It's most likely that the staples will be able to keep the pricing increases as their costs come down. I think they traded these huge multiples. They deserve to. But it makes sense. So I think also as we think ahead for S&P 500 earnings and we think of what might support them, this might support them, even though we haven't talked about them a lot.
2: Okay. Should we talk about them more, Courtney.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I do like the fact that you're going to look at these here and they have really had that pricing power. And that's what you want in this environment is companies with pricing power. Um, like when you look at Pepsi, a lot of their revenue beat was they increased price by about 17 percent, only 1 percent down in volume. So people are still spending. I think my only hesitation here is that's exactly what the Fed is trying to mitigate against, right, is people are willing to pay these prices. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where once you're willing to pay the prices, prices stay high, wages are high and people are yep. continuing to spend. So I think that's going to be their biggest headwind is the, the Fed is trying to bring down this demand. Um, But I do think that pricing power is positive.
2: Right. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right. That man right there, Mark Lasry, Avenue Capital chairman, CEO, joins me today in overtime. Three hours from now, look forward to speaking with him because there's a lot to talk to him about. And we'll do that. Josh Brown is with me as well. So we'll catch up on all things markets with the reform broker, too. All right, let's do final trades. Courtney Garcia, you have some time, so what you have?
4: Yes, uh, we've talked about healthcare today, and I do think that's going to continue to be one of your outperformers here, and I think it's something you should look at. Um, you can look at the iShares as an ETF here, and it's going to have some some of your good top holdings, right? Like your United Health Group, your Merck's, your um, Pfizer's, your Eli Lilly's. I think it's a good way to get that exposure. And as we're seeing CPI numbers coming out tomorrow, if inflation keeps picking up, this is something you want to be in.
2: All right, thank you. It's good having you for the hour, by the way.
4: Thanks so nice much. It's my pleasure. Here.
2: All right, Joe Turnover, what do you got?
5: Progressive Corp. Insurance company, financial, own
2: it. You're like in Connecticut today. Are you just pitching it because you're in the insurance state or what?
5: <laughs> nope. Speaking at the UConn <laughs> School of Business tonight, Scott, you know I enjoy doing that. going to yep. talk to the students about this environment investing.
2: All right. Good stuff. I'm glad you plugged that. We should have, we should have done more of that. Good stuff for, for, uh, for that, Joe. Say hi to everybody. Stephanie Link.
6: Uh, Dollar General. So it's a combination discretionary name and a staple stock. So it's a bit defensive. They uh, offer a value proposition for their customers. Eighty percent of their revenues are consumables. And so I think they'll benefit as consumers trade down. Gross margins have been steady due to pricing, uh, as well as mixed shift in products. So mm-hmm. I like it. It's not cheap at 23 times, but it is definitely a staple and a defensive name in a in a really uh, challenging environment.
2: Okay, thank you. Seagate must be yours.
3: Yes, that was my new buy from last week. Okay. So earlier we were talking about hard and soft landings. I think that those are happening asymmetrically and asynchronously. So I think some things have already bottomed, and this is one where, where I think it's bottomed. We've got 5% dividend yield. Actually, you get to buy it cheaper than I did last week, so you get a 5.4% dividend yield 11 times in a business that just has insatiable demand for hard disk drive storage. Mm.
2: All right, good. So, I mean, That's kind of to your point earlier. You might be able to get things a few dollars cheaper, but if you're a long-term investor, it's not going to make much of a difference. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.